morning, everybody. Happy I'm a Pratt, get me on the telly day. And welcome to the News Agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by my fellow Mirror columnist, Darren Lewis. Morning, Darren. Morning, morning. Now, this is the People's Paper Review, so get into the comments, ask us your questions, we'll do our best to answer them for you. Those of you listening later on podcasts will just have to phone in and vote repeatedly for the worst person you know. So, what have we got for you today? Well, the mirror has splashed on a picture of a grinning buffoon landing at Brisbane Airport to take part in this year's I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here, in which the publisher of his new book and the ITV producers have played an absolute blinder and got everyone talking about someone we were all trying very hard to forget about. That's right, former Health Secretary Matt Hancock, who last time I checked, about five minutes ago, was in fact a public servant and not a celebrity, is going into the jungle allegedly to reconnect with the voters, but as a result has been disconnected from the Tories, who have withdrawn the whip and left him in disgrace. Now, here is a clip of him being so extremely unpopular with them, it may have spurred him on to seek some further public approval. Roll tape. There we go. Completely snubbed by the new Prime Minister. Is uh, plainly, plainly got his nose a little bit out of joint there. Now, Darren, this is exactly what happened with Nadine Dorries when she went into the jungle about a decade ago. She lost the whip too on her way in. Um, and she, when she should have been at work, and she wound up in government after that and is now nominated for the House of Lords. So, um, Matt Hancock would probably be expecting to lose the whip and it wouldn't expect it to harm his employment prospects at all, would he? No, it wouldn't. Uh, and, and I think it kind of symptomises the degree of arrogance that has always surrounded um, the Tories in so much as they believe they will always land on their feet. And Hancock is taking... Oh. I don't even think this is a calculated risk for him because I think he's in... He's clearly in the departure lounge of his career... Um, and I think as far as he's concerned, he doesn't, I think we've articulated. He's far too close to that lady, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Wendy Lazy. I think Wendy handled, Wendy handled that particularly well, actually, um, because I think, again, that that, that is what uh, Matt Hancock's all about. No self-awareness, yeah. no real ability to, to kind of read the room. And she had to just move away from him in the end when she realised, right. no, 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 no. It was you a very know, viral very clip. I mean, I can't put myself in her position. You probably can, Susie. And Every you know, you woman can... has been in this position. When you sort of, you wave your hand to somebody and you find it inexplicably, you've just hit his crotch because he's so close to you, which is what right. just happened to her. And then so she's trying to carry on and be polite, but it's just sort of gradually moving away. Anyway, I'm going to take a step away now, Mr. Hancock. And, and you know, that, that, no sense that, of personal space. I almost wonder if this clip, as well, sums Matt Hancock up in a nutshell. Um, I mean, he's quite unfortunately named in the first place, but I think as far as um, he's concerned, he just lacks that awareness and the inability to read the room and to kind of understand the way that he's being perceived. And that headline right there, I, I, I wrote a column about him today. I, I felt that he does represent everything that is wrong with our politics right now. And, you know, maybe it's on us. Maybe we get the politicians that, you know, our, our society produces, but there's there's almost a despair about 
the, his his failure to understand that there have been so many bereaved families, not just the ones that have suffered loss, but you know the ones who've had their lives affected, your mm. life, my life, the lives of the people watching this show. And yet we have this guy who thinks after all that, that he can go into the jungle. And I know Lembit Opik went in, and I know uh, Nadine, as you were saying, went in as well. Um, that was 10 years ago. They were very different circumstances and none of them presided over one of the worst COVID death tolls in the world. No. But Hancock did. And as you saw in the picture, I don't know if you can flash it up again. He quite literally, I said this in the piece, he quite literally slept on his watch with his can mistress. We, can we stop caught. looking at that picture? Because <laughs> it upset, it just, it traumatises me every time again that I have to see it. It's just... It's a great headline, Darren, but I just I don't want to see that image. And I have the horrible <laughs> feeling that when he's in the jungle... No, stop it, Edward. <laughs> backstage, no. I mean, unfortunately, you can't unsee it. We're, you know, we're going to have that video played at us, aren't we? Over and over and over again now. Now, as Mike says, I hope every contestant asks Hancock repeatedly, why aren't you at home doing the job you're paid for before silently watching him wander off to eat more animal private parts? Um now, the, you've raised the point about a couple of other politicians who went in, Limbit Opic and uh, Nadine Dorries. But, of course, they were backbenchers at the time. Matt Hancock is a backbencher now. They should all have been representing their constituents and were taking, I don't know if they all actually took it in the end, but were being paid ostensibly by the taxpayer at the time. But none of them were former cabinet ministers, like you said. None of them were... Um, you know, reviled in the public consciousness for the same reasons that Matt Hancock is, perhaps. Jewel says, let's hope the public vote for him to do all the trials. He's a disgrace. He should be sacked. But again, it's taking the heat off the present crisis. And um, they've got a point here, haven't they, I think, Darren, because unlike when Doris went in, you know, she just annoyed her voters and her constituency and they forgot about it in time for the next election. But Mr Spatchcock here has also upset the COVID families who blame him for the loss of many thousands of loved ones unnecessarily and prematurely during the pandemic. They say the PPE failures, the contracts for mates, the discharge of people into care homes without testing them for COVID all caused extra deaths and a waste of public money. This is someone who would unite anti-vaxxers and COVID families in, in loathing pretty much. Um, and, but one person who might be a bit less than thrilled, according to the mirror, at least, uh, is the new campmate, is newsreader Charlene White, who's in the jungle. And she's spoken out before on Loose Women about how devastating her family found it when they had to have a socially distanced funeral for her great aunt uh, while the Tory leadership were partying in Downey Street. Now, that is a slightly separate issue to what Matt Hancock did wrong in office. He was present at one of those Downing Street parties, but he wasn't linked to the partying that she was so upset about. But Darren, you've been speaking to some of Charlene's family and um, they are perhaps trying to trying to be a little bit more positive about it. Yeah, I mean, listen, they, they will handle it with, with, with the class they normally deal with this kind of situation. But I do hope that inside the, the, the camp, Hancock feels the isolation that the families felt not, not just Charlene's, but many others uh, felt during that period. I think of, as you know, the Queen is a perfect example, um, the late Queen, who, who had to be isolated at Prince Philip's funeral. You know, and there'll be thousands, millions of ordinary people who will have felt isolated in their deep, 
darkest moment. And this is why, you know, Susie, I feel, yes, people might say, I hope he does uh, all of the, the worst trials and he does, you know, eats kangaroos, this and that. For me, I don't think, and I say this in the piece, any amount of humour generated from the hours that he's on the show can compensate for the grief and the loss that families are feeling. I don't care if he gets his head stuck in uh, a box full of spiders or if he has to jump off a cliff without a heart, whatever. The fact is that I, 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 we all have to ask ourselves, is this appropriate for the national broadcaster to be, you know, to get this guy who wrecked the lives of so many people? And you might say, oh, well, I didn't do it deliberately. And that's fine. And, and, and I could take that. You know, it may well be that it's just his incompetence that managed to do it. But to thrust him into centre stage and say, OK, that's now done. Now let's have a laugh at Anton Deck. I don't think families are having it. Um, and so there may be people who are willing to speak up on his behalf. But from my point of view, and I would imagine, well, I do, I wouldn't imagine the COVID families issued a statement yesterday calling for him to be removed from the show. Mm. A show, let's not forget that he will cash in on while he's drawing his MP's salary. Um, while he's well, he says he's giving some of the money to um, some good causes. I think a hospice in his constituency and some dyslexia work. I don't think he's specified how much. Mm, and not, again, you know, he should be. Personally, and this is only my personal opinion, I can't speak for the many people. I'm sure they'll speak for themselves when they come on and, and, and they message in. I don't think he should be on there. I think it is a misstep. I think as far as the show is concerned, there are lots of people they could get on there who would provide us the humour that we wouldn't have mixed feelings about um, or utter contempt for. Um, he's not a pantomime villain. He's a guy who wrecked lives of lots and lots of people. And as you put it so well into context, you know, he profited it from it. He had his extracurricular activities around it. This is a guy whose mendacity has affected the lives of a lot of people. And I don't think you can turn that into entertainment. Oh, well, we'll have to see, won't we, what Anton Deck can manage. I'm sure we'll have lots of shots of that video. I'm sure there'll be tasks involving social distancing or masking up. Do you agree, Susie? Where do you stand on this? Um, well, I, I pretty much agree with you. I think it maybe is a slight misstep. We'll have to see, though. I mean, Debbie Ann says here, he didn't make the virus. Leave the man alone, stopping this bullying. When did it become acceptable to pick on people and single them out? <laughs> to be fair, Debbie's got a point that, um, you know, it was a government that did lots of these things uh, and a department, and Matt Hancock would have been acting on advice from his advisors. But, Debbie Ann, he did also single himself out by going into the jungle by saying, I'm a celebrity, get me in there. So there is, and the, you know, this ritual humiliation, which is going to be going on, that he is going to be voted um, to do all the tasks. That just is. It's going to be like when Katie Price went on, just get all the tasks done. That is bullying. That is a nation saying we don't like you. Um, but Jill says there he should be answerable for his actions. So there is this ethical debate. Is this someone we ought to be bullying? Is that part of the process of being a society that we we do round on people who've done the wrong thing in some can, respect? Can I can I say, I mean, he says, um, because he's done the, uh, as you would expect, he's done the interviews and, and 
but sees this as a jolly thing and is beaming from ear to ear saying he's going in there to connect to people and show the human side. Well, I think one or two people would have liked to have seen that humanity during the crisis. They would have liked him to be more transparent during the crisis. They would have liked him to have helped with the PPE they were crying out during the crisis. There are so many other things he could have done to show a more human side, not to politicians, to him during that crisis. And I think that monetizing the misery of millions of people and releasing a book uh, where he decides he wants to open up as opposed to showing the accountability that ministers of state should have, I, I think it sends out the wrong message. And, you know, I said in the piece, you know, it's symptomatic of this total moronification of public life where you, you know, you look, think about the amount of prime ministers we've had, you know, everyone wants to go, everyone wants to go at being home secretary, everyone wants to go at being chancellor, nobody knows their brief, you know, it's years ago, politicians had some degree of honour and some degree of gravity when they assumed the roles of minister of state. Mm -hmm. And right now we've got guys who waltz in, have a go, when they finish, they get paid and they waltz off into the sunset while ordinary people are left paying through the paying for bills through the roof, crying over lost loved ones and suffering the kind of carnage in their daily lives that politicians, ministers couldn't care less about. Yeah, well, it's worth bearing in mind that Matt Hancock's experience of normal life was working as a Bank of England economist briefly before he joined the Conservative Party policy unit and came up through the ranks and then got picked for a safe seat. So uh, how much normal normal human beings in there. We'll have to wait and see, I suppose. Joe says, this man's being paid to do a job for his constituents. He should be sacked. He can be recalled if there's enough people in his constituency that want him to. The Mirror has spoken to some of those constituents in the paper today and not a single one of them is chuffed about the idea. I think even his constituency association chairman is pretty unhappy. So we'll have to see how some of that goes. Now keep asking us your questions. Do you think there's any any benefit whatsoever to Matt Hancock or the world at large for him going into the armed celebrity jungle. It is possible, if not very probable, that the public will take him to their hearts and see a nicer side of him, see the human side. Um, but it's more likely Anton Deck will take the mickey out of him on primetime telly every night for a fortnight and we'll watch him being richly humiliated, dancing with his not wife again. You prepare yourselves for all of that. But Darren, there is this, I think, this is where I stand on this. There's a serious point here because while all this is going on, light is being made of it. You know, it comes down to talk about kangaroo testicles and, you know, how funny Anton Deck can make a joke at his expense. It, it's He's being mocked. Uh, and that really reduces the fury of those families, the country at large. It reduces the wrong that he did when he was in office. And you write in your column that you think ITV has misstepped here. Because, I mean, you know, they're supposed to get con controversial figures on and, and have people wanting to watch the television. But is this, do you think it will backfire? Is this is a bit too far? I, I, I think it could. Well, I, I know and this is a slight move away um but i know you know all about dealing with families who are bereaved i know you work with the vets uh the nuclear vets and and, and the fights that they've had to go through to get justice and accountability etc the fine work it is too and you know i think of the families of those who've been bereaved um 
and those who have suffered avoidable deaths. And my thoughts are with what they will be thinking every night while other people are giggling over the kind of frivolity that some of the others in that campsite will, will, will put themselves up for and be involved in. But this guy, who should be accountable to the public, to his constituencies, to the nation, sorry, to his constituency, to the nation, you know, I, I just can't see that they would be smiling every day uh, knowing that this guy is, is having fun at their expense. And I do see it as having fun at their expense. I do see it as him basically laughing at them. Um, I, I want to use a stronger term, um, but we're a family show. But I, I do see it, ITV as having made a rare misstep here because I don't see that as fun, humour, jollity, entertainment. I, I just don't see it. I, I, a Minister of State that has been at the centre of so much carnage. Years ago, you'd have hidden your face, as I said in, in the piece today. You'd have hidden your face. You'd have had some degree of sobriety around this. Now, you would have done charity work. You'd have tried to rehabilitate yourself by doing good, um, but rehabilitating yourself by publishing a book, ghostwritten by Isabel Oakeshott and going into the army celebrity jungle. Well, you know what it's like, Susie? It's a little bit like, you know, I don't know if you ever saw The Office where, where David Brent tells everybody that they're going to be um, sacked, but he said, you know, the good news is I've been promoted. You know, it, it's that kind of, and I, I don't say that, you know, with a degree of levity. I, I, I say it because it symptomises Matt Hancock's lack of self-awareness. Mm. He, even if ITV had made the judgment or misjudgment of inviting him in, surely he could have had the self-awareness to say, thank you very much, but no, thank you. I don't yeah. think it would be appropriate. But instead, he, he doesn't just take it. He grasps at it because that's what he symptomises, the grasping opportunist politician that we have in Westminster right now, as opposed to the ministers of state of the past, whether you agreed with their politics or not, who at least had some degree of honour yeah. and accountability. I don't think we've really been able to dent their self-confidence is the issue. Now, Leslie says this is going to backfire on them big time. It's just more laughing at us while we are being hit by the cost of living crisis. Now, there's one part in your piece on pages six and seven down that jumped out at me. You say that the statesmen of the past remain in our rearview mirror, replaced by a 21st century clown car crammed with thugs, narcissists and more sex pests than a 1970s off Christmas party but it's it's a clown car that's killed thousands of people but the clowns don't seem to have noticed they don't seem to have lost that sense of self-regard I think that's the fundamental problem isn't it that that's got him in there his ego is just as good as it ever was well, absolutely and again you know we this is a week where you've had Suella Braverman talking with impunity about migrants after firebombing at that migrant centre in Dover and using the kind of 70s rhetoric of invasion, threats, you know, that kind of... This is a government... Well, absolutely. It's a government without empathy, a government that doesn't care. Ministers, past and present, who couldn't care less about you or I, noses in the trough while people are suffering from the cost of living crisis and using food banks. This is what Matt Hancock represents. And when I talk about the number of people who have been PM and Home Secretary and Chancellor, I do it because they don't see it as 
an opportunity to serve the public. They see it as an opportunity to serve themselves, as a ticket to celebrity in the big time. And yeah. we see how this is panning out. You know, he has already done another reality TV show that's going to come out later this year. He, as you say, he's going to be making money from that book. And all the while, people are suffering. The ones that have been bereaved, the ones that are paying through the nose, the ones whose lives have been changed irreparably. I, yeah. I just can't see any level on which this could be entertainment. And people might say, oh, well, I can't wait to see how he's going to react to the likes of Boy George and Charlene White and other people. That's as may be. But again, I still don't see that as entertainment. It's car crash TV. Um, and it may well generate ratings, but I think the morality of it doesn't sit well with me. And I would imagine it doesn't sit well with a lot of people. Yeah, and as Rosemary says there, well said, Darren. Now, um, keep asking us your questions. Let us know what you think about Matt Hancock going into the jungle. Should he be there? Should they have chosen someone else? What's his problem? Why on earth is he putting himself through it? Um, have you lost someone to COVID? Are you concerned about it? Are you quite happy that he's going in? Are you looking forward to dialing up and giving ITV lots of your money every night when you don't have any in order to see him, you know, locked in a box with some locusts or whatever? Let us know. Um, that there is a bunch of other stuff of more importance in the news today, not least the fact that uh, key workers' children are more likely to be living in poverty. That's a story in the mirror today. And Rishi Sunak has rode back on threats to fire 91,000 civil servants uh, as suggested I think it was Boris Johnson I think or Jacob Rees-Mogg one other of these interchangeable lunatics but on page nine we have another chancer who is misjudging his audience uh, and the referee Ali bin Nasser is selling the ball with which Diego Maradona scored his handball of God goal in 1986 World Cup quarterfinals now Darren they reckon this ball is going to go for three million pounds um, but what's really bothering me is that Nasser is explaining away the fact he awarded that goal on the basis that the linesman said it was okay. Is is that, I mean, obviously we have uh, cameras now that pick some of this stuff up, but is this just how football was played back then? Because I can remember, actually, people were pretty cross with uh, with the referee at the time and thought that it should never have been awarded. Well, first of all, this continues our theme of chiselling chances uh, <laughs> because this guy is going to somehow ended up with a ball from one of the most iconic games in football history. And he's going to make three million pounds or, or roundabout then, um, uh, which is uh, it's going to auction in a couple of weeks time. And, and he's decided to, to auction the ball off um, just to deal with the football bit. I, I kind of get a feeling we're going to be talking a little bit more about football over the next eight weeks or so. I've uh, not got no idea why. Um, but I think as far as he's concerned, he was saying that he didn't see it. And because he didn't see it, he turned to what you, we used to call the linesman, we now call the assistant referee, and that that guy was running back towards the halfway line, which is a signal that the goal was legitimate and that it should have been given. Um, and he felt, and the directive at the time was that if he hadn't seen it, he could not give the goal. So he couldn't do so. Um, even so, again, you would have thought he would have had some shame after seeing that he was not just a little bit wrong, but massively wrong. Yeah. And maybe thought twice about taking the ball away from that match and giving it to one of the participants. Exactly. Or maybe 
Awesome. Here we go into the idea of rehabilitation of a of a public offender. Warren here says, I like Darren. Shame he's a Spurs fan. Uh, it's a shame anybody's a Spurs fan, Warren. I'm right with you. Um, but you've got someone who's done something wrong, like Matt Hancock, right? Or an entirely different thing. And if you want to rehabilitate yourself in, in the public mindset or something, then you say, that was a mistake. Shouldn't have done it. You know, whether you're the referee who wrongly awarded that goal and the entire world saw that it was a handball uh, and it shouldn't have been done. I mean, they should have just cancelled the match. They'd taken the goal away after the match when it was quite clear anyway. But he well, should well, say it was a mistake. I shouldn't have done it. Here's the ball. Who wants to buy it? It's quite simple. Absolutely. I would be mortified. I would be, if I were in his position and I saw that I'd made such a huge mistake in such a massive match... I would have been mortified and I would not want to be anywhere near any of the memorabilia from that particular event. Um, I'm glad Jeremy Armstrong is caught up with this guy for us. For, for, his name is Ali bin Nasser. Um, he's 78 now. Um, but Jeremy asked him the tough questions and, 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 and yeah. put him on the rack and, and, he just basically said no it wasn't me and and gave us all the normal self-serving stuff but um <laughs> I, I think that um from his point of view he just to answer your question from before just it just popped back into my mind you were asking why it wasn't the case that um it hadn't someone hadn't overruled they had no technology at the time um the only thing they had was the ability to rewind 10 15 seconds um, and used to see the little R in the top right-hand corner. Yeah, but we all had a photograph of it, Darren. The whole world was watching it and saw it happen. There were still shots. There were camera crews po pointed at it. Even after the match was over, you know, the authorities should have said, well, yes, we clearly we have to take that goal away. Yeah, they would, they would never have had that. It, it, they were very, very, let me tell you, very, very intransigent at the time. And their view back then was that the result stands and the referee was the ultimate arbiter of the game. And times have changed massively since then. And uh, lots and lots of people um, in charge recognised the PR, the negativity around sticking to their guns and trying to defend the indefensible. And that's why he's managed to get not only get away with it, but he's going to make a lot of money. Yeah, as he, as he says in Jeremy's story, he's going to set up his family for life. We're not quite sure how he ended up with the ball. He shouldn't really have the ball, but he does have the ball. Roger says £3 million for an old football was an awful lot of dough. It's also deflated, Roger. Um, and I'm not quite sure what the authenticity of the of the ball is either and how they've managed to prove it, but there we are. Um, <clears throat> crikey. Uh, so people trying to... Just not admitting their mistakes, I think, is the fundamental theme of today's... Today's show, uh, an absolute clowns knocking about. And one thing actually that Bin Nasser does say in that interview, which is worth pointing out, is that Maradona's other goal in that match was possibly the most perfect goal ever. And it was a thing of beauty, entirely legal as well. But it gets completely overlooked by the handball. Uh, and Maradona's just genius also gets overlooked, I think, by a lot of people who aren't in South America. Um, that because of because of that one incident, so it's a great pity mm. that Maradona's other abilities and legacies are kind of overlooked rather because of this one incident. But anyway, 
moving on. Keep asking your questions. What do you think Maradona's uh, Hand of God football is worth? Would you pay £3 million for it? Would you have something better to spend the money on? Would you be spending £3 million on just repeatedly dialing the I'm a Celebrity hotline to get Matt Hancock uh, more humiliation instead? Uh, do let us know. But in the meantime, we have found some good news for you. There is some in the world. And here it is. Now, continuing our theme of clown cars, we have all seen children on the school run in cars without child seats, bombing about in the in the front. And we've seen people driving along without seatbelts on. And a third of everybody killed in a car crash last year wasn't strapped in. Now, National Highways and Warwickshire Police are trialling a camera van, finally, to catch out the unbelted drivers who face points in a maximum £500 fine. Just come down my school in the mornings, you'll get half a dozen people. Now, Darren, is this proof that, I suppose, if it's possible to criminalise deadly clown cars and incentivise the occupants to actually comply with the law, that we might yet be able to do the same with the Conservative Party? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, although to be fair, they're so slippery within the Conservative Party that even if they did use a seatbelt, they'd probably slither away. Who's um, underneath it? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Way, way too slippery. But, you know, I, I, I think it's a, a, a much needed sledgehammer to crack a nut. I think there are too many people who, who try to slither away from the law. Uh, you, listen, I drove here, we, I'm sat here in Canary Wharf in the tower, 23rd floor. Um, I drove here from my home in East London, and on the way, I lost count of the amount of people I was stuck behind who hadn't realised the traffic had moved on because they were on their telephones. There are so many people behind the wheel who are so, so careless right now, and I would imagine they include people who don't bother with a seatbelt. So if it is a sledgehammer to crack a nut, it's much, much needed and very, very welcome. I think as far as... Um, uh, our, our motoring, if you like, contingent is concerned, I think there is a real complacency and it's quite sobering to see the numbers of people who have been killed in crashes because of not using a seatbelt. I think it should be uh, I wonder if that's Catherine, uh, the transport minister on the phone right now. But yeah, I, I think it should give some people some pause. I hope the £500 fine worries a few people into um, taking action. Yeah. What amazes me is it's it's taken them this long. It's been illegal my entire lifetime, almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've it's this long before anyone started to actually try to impose the fines and everything else. Uh, and the amount of money it would save the NHS on life-altering injuries and lifelong social care just makes this absolute definitely should be doing it they should have done it sooner but please could they also concentrate on westminster because there's a few people driving the car there who probably aren't doing it properly ricky says should pj and duncan be held accountable yes they should for everything there we go i think we fixed it uh and uh, we'll come back i suppose i you know thank you very much darren for for joining me on this and explaining all that thank you everyone for taking part uh join us again next monday and we'll get ready to rumble see what i did there uh with um the new week when i think uh, i'm a celebrity and world cup and goodness knows what we'll maybe have started we'll be moving further on if you're listening to us on podcast please leave us a review uh and other than that we'll see you all again next week thank you everyone tatty bye